Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for seasonal plants, so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here's that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. It's officially fall now in Kentucky, and the leaves are beginning to fall to the ground. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your motto for fallen leaves? Do you bag them up and then put them near the street for pickup? Do you recycle them and reuse them in your garden to enhance your soil? Or do you simply do nothing with them and let Mother Nature take care of it? Well, in this episode of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast, I chat with wildlife biologist Shannon Tremboli and podcaster for Backyard Ecology to get her perspective on reasons why it's important to leave the fallen leaves in the landscape. From the ecological perspective and that wildlife and pollinator perspective, those leaves are extremely important for all kinds of critters. So you'll have lots of little insects hiding in there over the winter. And your songbirds, like the Carolina wrens, I just love Carolina wrens. They're my favorite songbird. They'll come through and they're going to be picking through the leaves and you'll see them throwing the leaves up in the air and picking through them and finding insects that they eat all throughout the winter there. Quite a few of our residential winter birds will do the same sort of thing. Shannon goes on to explain other reasons for leaving the fallen leaves, as well as tips for finding the perfect balance for leaving those leaves in the garden and landscape, if that's really hard for you to do that. So to hear more on those thoughts, stay here for more on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. All right, we are so excited to have on with the podcast with us today is Shannon Tremboli. And Shannon, I've known you, it seems like, for forever. And I haven't really gotten to talk to you lately, but I've been following along with you on your blog. And I know that there's a lot of other things that you do. We kind of mentioned off the air that you're just like the jack of all trades. But will you just kind of educate our audience this morning about different things that you do, kind of like your background, your interest? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Thanks, Kristen, for having me. I am so excited about this too, because this is going to be fun. I love talking about all this. And I am a wildlife biologist and educator, basically just a lifelong nature nerd who has always loved helping people learn about and appreciate the nature around them because I love learning about it. And it's one of those things that I just want to share with everybody. And so that's a big reason why I started Backyard Ecology was to help people create those thriving ecosystems in their yards and communities while being able to learn about their local pollinators and wildlife and native plants because It's so much more fun and easier, I think, to create those thriving ecosystems and put in all that work if you know who's there and can really appreciate everything that's there and see them and know them. So yes, that's one of the things I do is Backyard Ecology, which is blog, podcast, YouTube channel, and coaching, just a lot of different opportunities there. And in addition to that, My husband and I operate Busy Bee Nursery and Consulting, which is a small native plant nursery and habitat consulting service that we have here in South Central Kentucky. So again, a different way to be able to help people create those pollinator and wildlife habitats of their dreams on their own property, because I really do believe that everybody can do something. 
And it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I know that we have installed a Monarch Way station here within our extension office. And just by having that garden space, I've really learned a lot more and been more aware of the pollinators and then the life cycles that they go through. And I'm just so glad that you're here because I know that you're a wealth of knowledge and you've also put out a book. What has that just been a couple of years ago? I put out a couple of books. Yes. Several books, I guess. And so probably just by writing and I know you speak in a couple of different places, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the interest. And I know that there's probably a lot of people that you've encountered and just by having your nursery, you've been able to spread more information as well through the native plants that you guys grow. I think so. And that's why we do all the education work is that I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife biology, a master's degree in ecology. So, I mean, it's one thing for me to be able to look at things and say, oh yeah, this is this and this is how it all works together. Not everybody though has that knowledge. Just like I don't have the knowledge everybody else does. I know people who can look at a computer and go, oh yeah, these go, and I'm like, huh? (laughs) It's just different details that we all have. Same thing with mechanical stuff. So I wanted to be able to share that. And then it's one thing to have the plants and have access to the plants, but then another thing to be able to know how to grow them. Or if I grow this, it will attract this and that will attract this. And like you said, part of it's becoming aware because it's, you look at the pretty native flowers that are in a pollinator garden, like the Monarch Way Station there. And it's a Monarch Way Station. You planted it for monarchs. But then you see that really cool emerald green, shiny metallic bee there. And you just can't help but look at it and get fascinated by it. And then all of a sudden you have this other butterfly fly by. And well, you've got to go to look at that. And it lands on this other plant. And well, what's that plant? Because I don't remember seeing that one blooming before. And it's this whole long rabbit hole that you just kind of fall into. One thing leads to the next. And I just love this stuff. (laughs) I was going to say, I know that I have really thoroughly enjoyed, like I said, our garden experience and just kind of observing it through the seasons. Speaking of seasons, the reason that we had you come on the podcast is that There's this kind of thought out there for a lot of people in the area that the leaves are starting to fall off the trees. And we feel like as soon as that starts happening, it's like we've got to clean that up pretty quick, you know, to make sure it looks good to the other people that are watching our properties or kind of paying more attention to our yard, so to speak. And then you've kind of come out with really it's acceptable about leaving those leaves because they help with our pollinators. So let's just start with this question first to get us moving to the topic we would like to cover today. But why exactly should we leave these fall leaves for the season? Well, first of all, I have to say, I didn't come out with it. There's been lots of people, and this has been kind of a growing movement through the conservation fields and really trying to help people, especially as more and more people become interested in inviting pollinators and wildlife to their yards, is understanding that these leaves are really important. But as far as why we should leave them, well, I'll start off with the selfish reason that has to do with us. They're pretty. I mean, think about it. The tourism industry for fall foliage is big. People pay lots of money to go to the Smoky Mountains or even just up the road to Mammoth Cave to look at the pretty fall leaves. Why can't we have that beauty in our own yards? Why do we have to go somewhere far away to see it? I mean, we don't walk through the woods and say, ooh, that's ugly. The leaves are on the ground. 
we go, oh, that's pretty. Why does it change? So just from our own perspective, I think they're pretty. So that's one reason to leave them. But then from the ecological perspective and that wildlife and pollinator perspective, those leaves are extremely important for all kinds of critters. So you'll have lots of little insects hiding in there over the winter. And your songbirds, like the Carolina wrens, I just love Carolina wrens. They're my favorite songbird, but they'll come through and they're going to be picking through the leaves and you'll see them throwing the leaves up in the air and picking through them and finding insects that they eat all throughout the winter there. Quite a few of our residential winter birds will do the same sort of thing. You may have salamanders overwintering in those leaves. Also, a lot of our pollinators or butterflies and moths, I guess I should say, because not all of our moths are pollinators. Many of them don't eat anything as an adult. They only eat as caterpillars, so thereby they can't be pollinators because they're not visiting the flowers. But anyway, many of our favorite moths actually overwinter in those dead leaves. So the woolly worms that everybody loves, especially at this time of the year. The moth that it forms, nobody's going to pay any attention to it. It's pretty boring looking for the most part. And it's not a pollinator. It doesn't feed as an adult. But the woolly worms overwinter in dead leaves. That's why they're crossing the roads right now, is that you're seeing them trying to find that right habitat where the leaves are at, get to that right microclimate so that they can spend the winter. Basically go into the insect version of hibernation. Luna moths. Same story. I mean, everybody knows the big green luna moths. Gorgeous. Caterpillars overwinter in the dead leaves. Some of our butterflies do the same thing. They'll overwinter as caterpillars in the dead leaves or in the dead vegetation. So things like the red-banded hair streak is one of the butterflies that do it. The hummingbird moth or bumblebee moth that we're also familiar with. That looks like a little bumblebee, a laurel hummingbird that visits our flowers. That one's another one. Overwinters as a caterpillar in the leaves. So if we're cleaning up the leaves and throwing them away, we're also throwing away our caterpillars with that. And it's one of those things that we never really think about. And I know there's this big thing out there. Oh, oh, and bumblebee queens. So next year's bumblebee queens, they overwinter in either like an old mouse nest, if it's out in the field or something, they'll find an old mouse nest next to the end of the field and they'll kind of crawl under it, but also they'll crawl under around our homes and stuff where we don't have mouse nests everywhere. They'll go underneath the dead leaves that are on the ground and kind of hibernate just slightly underground and under that canopy of dead leaves, it acts like a blanket for them. And I know a lot of people I've heard my whole life that, oh, if you leave the leaves, it's going to kill your grass. I wish it was that easy to kill grass. It would make gardening so much easier when I'm wanting to expand the gardens and make a bigger garden somewhere in the yard. It doesn't happen that way. They're nature's natural mulch that Mm -hmm. provides that blanket. So it's not going to hurt anything to leave the leaves. And it really benefits so much. So for me, it's more like, why wouldn't I leave my leaves? Right. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned about the hummingbird moth, or that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. And so, because I found one out there the other day, and I don't know if I'd really oh. seen the caterpillar stage of it, because I've always just seen the adult form. So that was some awareness for me. But And I'm glad you mentioned a lot of the other different insects or pollinators that use that leaf mulch as their overwintering sites 
Because it's as a gardener, we hear clean up your garden space or clean up the leaves or put it into a compost pile. So that way it'll rot and return and improve the tilth of our soil, organic material. And so it is acceptable for us to leave those leaves in the lawn or in the garden space. Yes, exactly. And I'm so glad you brought up cleaning up the garden too, because while some of our caterpillars and either overwinter as a caterpillar or in a cocoon or a chrysalis in the leaves themselves. Many others will overwinter on dead vegetation. So if you've got a garden like the Monarch Way Station there, you'll have caterpillars and chrysalises that look like dead leaves. It's their camouflage hanging on there. And unless you're like really, really know what you're looking for and pay really close attention, you're not going to notice that that's not a dead leaf because sometimes they even wrap themselves in a dead leaf. So you do have a dead leaf there, but then they attach it with silk. Then you have eggs on the stem or on the dead leaves that are still hanging that aren't nearly microscopic. I mean, you've really got to be looking to see them. And so you've got all this beautiful biodiversity that's going to be next year's either pollinators or next season's food for the birds with some of the other insects and stuff on that vegetation. And so when we clean it all up, we're taking it all away. And I mean, it's easy. We don't see these things during the winter. And so we don't think about them. And we know monarchs fly away and many of our songbirds fly away. So we just kind of assume that everything goes away. And then it kind of magically reappears during the spring. And I know I never really thought about it either. Where do the butterflies come back from? They just kind of, poof, they're there. You, you don't think about it because mm-hmm. they just show up and they always have. But if you're cleaning up your garden and taking everything down to the ground and cleaning off every leaf there, you're throwing away all your baby butterflies and baby moths or baby bees in some cases, because we've got a lot of native bees that nest in the stems. And so in the spring, your adult bees come out and they lay their eggs, any hollow stems or stuff. Throughout the growing season, those eggs are developing to larvae and then pupae. And then they overwinter like that. And they won't emerge as adult bees until next spring. So, I mean, this whole fascinating system of life that goes on that we don't even see. It's just amazing. Like I said, I'm a big nature nerd. I can go on about this forever. And as a horticulturalist, you know, like my mind is blown because it seems like with a lot of the information that we pass along, especially if you've had trouble with diseases, you know, those can overwinter really bad depending on how the season has been for that particular time of year, you know, because seems like last year we had a lot of winter damage because we got down so low. And if you've had trouble through the season with diseases, maybe not cleaning up your garden could be harder said than really done because we've always just naturally done those things. So just to ask you, because this may be kind of harder for some of the listeners to think about, oh my gosh, I can just leave it alone. But is there a certain balance that we could probably try to reach for? Because it's either all or nothing, but maybe we can start somewhere just to have a difference made. But what are your thoughts on that? I am so glad you brought this up because this is something that drives me nuts when I see discussions about it on social media and the internet and other sites, or even just listening to people talk because It's always, like you said, it's this or that. It's one extreme or the other. And 
we're talking about life. Ecology is life. And when in life is it ever this or that? It's mm-hmm. always uh, in between. It's an, it depends. What's the situation? To me, finding that balance is critical because there are so many different balances. And so talking about leaving the leaves. Yes, if we took people completely out of the picture and we're just looking at the pollinators and wildlife and the functioning of the ecosystem, then leaving all the leaves there would be best. But we are part of the picture. And we're talking about homeowners and especially around our homes, finding that balance for us and keeping us in the picture. Yeah, there's no way to take us out. That's that's just life. And so the balancing points for one person is going to be different than that balancing point for somebody else because we all have different situations. We all have different circumstances. So there isn't a hard and fast answer here. It's do what you can. So there are places that we want to take away every leaf or almost every leaf for safety reasons. So for example, wet leaves on hard surfaces like sidewalks and driveways, they can get slick. That's a safety hazard. You want to remove them. And it becomes even more important if you or someone in your family isn't quite as mobile or doesn't have the best of balance, then you've got to protect your family and your loved ones and your friends. Yes, get the leaves off of there. And let's face it, I don't care how much you love nature. That's a hard surface with lots of traffic. Why do you want to attract pollinators and wildlife that might be overwintering in those leaves to somewhere that they're just going to get stomped on Mm -hmm. accidentally or run over? It's not helping anybody. So that's part of that balance is looking at it and thinking it through. But leaves on your yard, oh my gosh, the yard is an amazing place to leave the leaves because it's not a whole lot of traffic. I mean, you might run through sometimes, but no big deal. And it provides those overwintering places. So that if the leaves fall in there, great. If you can leave them there, wonderful. You get to enjoy that beauty that we talked about of the fall leaves. And it's great. You've got all that wall and pollinator habitat. But there again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. A lot of people who aren't really that comfortable with leaving the leaves, either because it doesn't fit their aesthetic or they're worried about the neighbor's view of it, or they've just got homeowners or other community guidelines to say, no, you can't do that. Well, there are other ways to do it. Some people will move the leaves into garden beds and just leave them in the garden beds. And that works. It creates a different type of habitat because they're deeper and then they compact more with the rain and stuff, but it's better than getting rid of them completely. Mm -hmm. It works. Another thing that I often recommend is that you can take and like break or blow a path through there, kind of like a winding path, like a trail walking through the woods. That gives it that intentionality. It shows that you're not being lazy and don't care about anything. And it forms a different aesthetic too. They can say, hey, yeah, I care, but look, isn't it beautiful? This is my trail, my walkway through it. So that's one way to do it. Other people I know in the front, they keep it pretty neat and manicured and they'll put the leaves into the garden beds and stuff like that. But then in the back, they leave it more freeform and more natural. They might have the path or they may not have the path. So yeah, there are all kinds of different ways to do this. It doesn't have to be everything or nothing at all. And really, it is about finding that balance that works for you. So I really encourage people to do what they can and find what works for them and go from there. I'm glad that you mentioned like some of those things, because obviously, like on those hard surfaces that you mentioned, Yeah, those will get slick over time and it's not really 
the right environment for those pollinators to be there anyway to be stomped on and they can't really go down into the soil as they could say in the lawn or even in the garden area so i'm glad you really mentioned that now that you said that it's like okay that's a no-brainer after you mentioned that but maybe just try to start somewhere if it's kind of just a little bit harder for us to kind of break that i've got to get it clean kind of mode maybe each year you can kind of work on that a little bit more at a time. So that way you you kind of achieve that goal a little easier. Yeah, exactly. And I put it that way of, well, we're just going to stop on them and drive over a minute because it is such a no brainer, but until somebody says it, you don't even think about it that way because we do, we tend to think this or that, the two extremes. And I have had people, very well-meaning people, Mm -hmm. wanted to do the right thing, heard about the benefits of leaving your leaves. And then they've come to me and go, but can I get them off the driveway because it's slick? I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And why would we want them on the driveway anyway? Right. Oh, they have that same light bulb go off that you did and that I did the first time I really thought of it. And so it's not judgment at all. It's just making that, wait a minute, let's think about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does make you feel better that Shannon said, okay, I can take those away from that type of area because I don't want to cause any slips or it's not good for them, pollinators or, you know, other insects that like to overwinter. So I'm glad to know that that is acceptable. Yeah. And um, especially like in places in town where you may have a very narrow, small front yard that you may want to keep the leaves off completely because depending on the way the wind blows there, because if they're blowing onto the sidewalk. That becomes a slip hazard for anybody that's going on the sidewalk. So it might be easier instead of going and sweeping the sidewalk every single day. Let's just move those leaves into the backyard or somewhere away or leaves that blow off onto the road and then get wet. For motorcyclists, that can be very, very dangerous. So again, it's looking at and thinking it through and remembering that we're a part of the ecosystem too. So let's find that balance. This doesn't have to be all us, but it doesn't have to be all the pollinators either. Yes. So you mentioned lawns or yards are fine for these leaves to land and the garden area is fine. Is there any other areas that you have noticed, say, within your experiences or I know you said you have a nursery there that they like to go to? Maybe there's a specific type of pollinator that likes a certain environment more. Oh, there's all kinds of different things with that. But it all depends on which species that we're looking at. Just like I can't say, oh, yeah, everybody should do this because all of our circumstances and situations are different. I really can't say that, yes, this is the best place for pollinators because not all pollinators are the same. Mm -hmm. Not all bees are the same or need the same thing. Not all butterflies are the same. Not all moths. And that's just going with the big flashy ones. Then we have the pollinators that are little bitty flies and beetles. And yeah, it's a whole long rabbit hole. So you just need a diversity of places. Mm -hmm. So definitely like out in the woods, leave the leaves. That's got its whole other, everything that it serves and purposes there. But yeah, just have that diversity as much as possible and do what you can with it. Exactly. All those years, I remember taking my mom, because I was a student here at Western and Bowling Green, I remember I would gather the leaves that they would collect in those big lawn bags And I would take them home to her and she would put them on the garden. So I guess I was packing along some pollinators and other things at the same time. We were just looking about, you know, incorporating and enhancing our soil type. But I guess I was packing along some other pollinators for her too. So yeah, I'm sure you were. Oh, and another thing that I hear a lot 
because we've heard so much, leaves are such good mulch, blah, blah, blah. They're really good. Incorporate them into the soil. I've heard people go, oh, I'm doing great. I just run my mulching lawnmower across everything. That's really good for your soil. Mm -hmm. It keeps the nutrients from the leaves, allows them to get into the soil easier, breaks it down easier for that. This is one of those light bulb moments that you have to say it before you go, oh, wait a minute. You're running the leaves and everything in those leaves through something that's chopping everything up into little bitty pieces. That's not very helpful for any pollinators that are in those leaves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're also getting chopped up into little bitty pieces. But it is good for the nutrients. So, But I know people who have, and I've talked to people who until I said it that way and asked them about it, thought that they were helping the pollinators because they were leaving the leaves just in a different form. No, not quite. And again, that's not judging. It's just saying, wait a minute, let's think this through. And then it's all, oh, yeah. And there's been plenty of things that I've done that I was like, oh, wait a minute, why did I do that? I just didn't think of it that way. So we've all done it. And so it's learning and doing better once you learn better. And I've always heard the saying, you know, sometimes you learn more from the mistakes that you make and then you can kind of improve upon and, and do better. It's almost like you don't ever forget some of the mistakes you've made. I know that this may be kind of new for some people and maybe they want to put their hands a little bit more on material or other resources or just check it out a little bit more. Maybe we piqued their interest in this topic and they want to go explore exactly what other insects and pollinators, you know, what type of environments they want. Because you're right, not every insect or pollinator is going to need the same thing. I mean, even us as humans, we require different things or want different things. But do you have a good place that you kind of refer people to if they need a little bit more information to kind of help digest this topic a little better? Well, a couple of years ago, I did write a blog article on this topic. And I can give you the link if you want so that you can share it with people. But they can also just go to Mm backyardecology.net and search for Leave Your Fall Leaves and it will come up. Yeah, like I said, I can give you the link for that. Another good place to go to look on this is Cersei Society. They've got a lot of really good articles on the topic and information too. Well, that's perfect because I know a lot of people that may be listening would like to refer to some of those information. And like you said, Shannon, you also have a podcast that you do fairly often. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and what to expect from it? Because a lot of our listeners may be interested in that one as well. Okay, thanks. Yes. Like I said at the beginning, I'm a wildlife biologist by training. And so everything I do is really important to me for it to be science informed. So I started the podcast a couple of years ago, Backyard Ecology Podcast, to be able to talk to the scientists and the researchers who are looking into and doing the research on the pollinators, on growing native plants, on attracting wildlife and pollinators to our yards, urban ecology, all those things related to where we're at. And what we're going to find in our backyards, in our communities, and how we interact with them. And so that's why I started the podcast. So we, a lot of times, I'll have conversations with them. I release a new episode every other week. Some of those episodes are, I've kind of switched things up from the beginning, whereas Mm -hmm. I was just having those conversations with researchers or educators and other experts in the field. I will record some of my blogs, which are focused more on specific native plants or specific animals. So I go back and forth between an interview style and a just me style. Both of those are there. And like I said, I release every other week. 
You can find it on any podcast listening app that you want. Just search for Backyard Ecology. Or you can go to, like I said, my website, backyardecology.net. And if you're somebody who, okay, you'll listen to a podcast like this one, because, well, there's lots of really good information on podcasts, but you would really rather read. I've also started doing the transcripts. So I'll have the full transcript on the webpage for the podcast too, because some of my audience said, we'd really rather read this, Shannon. You've got a lot of good information, but it's easier for us. So here you go. Here's the transcript. So lots of different ways to really learn about it. And it's yeah. all focused on the Eastern U.S. So it's here. It's where we live because like I said, in ecology, it depends is so important. And that means location is important. And what works for us may not work for somebody in California. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just different. Exactly. And like you said, it's very specific to our location. And can you tell us like what some of your most popular podcast episodes have been? I'm sure you've probably got a couple, but maybe you can name just like your top two or three, because that way, Mm -hmm. if there's a certain episode that's been popular, maybe people might want to go check that out. I know I get a lot of questions here about what native plants are best, but maybe you've got some other information that you can just recall that's been real popular for your listeners. Well, my absolute most popular one was actually with Jennifer Seska, who is with University of Georgia Athens. And we were talking about gardening with native plants. And it was just one of those conversations that talked about all kinds of different things related to gardening with native plants and different ways to do them and stuff. Other really popular ones I've had, I talked to Larry Weiner, who has written multiple books. He does a lot of landscape design work with ecology and pollinators and wildlife and native plants really in mind. So we had a whole conversation on ecological landscaping there, which is really amazing. I had a conversation recently with Alan Weekly, who's at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. And he's got an amazing app that they just came out with that allows you to identify different plants, mostly native, the ones that you'd find out in the woods or out in the fields and stuff. And it's a great balance between the really deep technical scientific methods of doing it and what we like to do of, ooh, okay, it's got this color petals and blooms at this time and really breaking it down and having the pictures as well. So that just came out. And so that was a really popular conversation that we had. Bringing it back home to Kentucky, I've had multiple conversations with James Wheat who is the past president of the Kentucky Ornithological Society. So we've talked about different things related to birding and attracting birds or to our properties. Christmas bird count. We had a really good conversation about it. Some of the different tools and techniques that we can use to identify birds around our properties because we talk about the pollinators and stuff, but they're fun too. I had a conversation with Brainerd Palmerbaum, who is another really big birder in the state about winter hummingbirds not too long ago, because we do have hummingbirds that overwinter in Kentucky. Occasionally, I mean, it's not like the ruby throat hummingbirds that we see all the time, but we got hit and miss ones where there might be over the course of the winter, six or seven different ones. And they're not all ruby throated. They're oftentimes different ones. So yes, just a wide variety of conversations that are really fun and interesting and I could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I have really enjoyed getting to see you and also hear about all this great information. 
I'm so glad that you mentioned a couple of ways that we can follow along, like you said, on your blog and you're doing great things with the podcast. It sounds like I might have to get that app that you mentioned there about native plant identifiers. I know I'm still learning quite a bit more about native plants. So Mm -hmm. it's always fun to have things to aspire to and learn more about. But Shannon, it has been a joy to get to talk to you. And I so appreciate you being a guest here on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. We'll definitely have to have you back again in the future to talk, I don't know, native plants, butterflies. It sounds like you're the jack of all trades. So thank you so much for being here for us today. Oh, thank you so much, Kristen. This has been amazing. And yes, I'd love to come back because if you can't tell, I love talking about this. Always have. And if people want YouTube, we've got a YouTube channel too. So we've got a little bit of everything. Just search for Backyard Ecology. Backyard Ecology. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion today with guest Shannon Tromboli about leaving the fall leaves. If you would like to see Shannon's blog articles and podcast from Backyard Ecology, make sure to see the show notes for episode 23. In order to access those show notes, all you have to do is visit me over on the blog at Warren County Agriculture, and you can access that by going to www.warrencountyagriculture.com. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. As always, gardeners, keep digging into gardening and remember to add a little sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcasts with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. 